Hello team and welcome to episode 428 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Freddie Bennett. Freddie went from stressed, depressed, addicted, and a suicidal corporate executive to Guinness World Record holder, ultra marathon winner, an endurance athlete who ran across the Sahara Desert and is about to run 300 miles across the frozen Arctic. Freddie's journey is an inspirational one. And what I particularly liked about his narrative is that it wasn't the same cliche advice that we always hear, but instead much more real and to the point. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to embrace your true nature instead of escaping it, why your childhood traumas may be leading your decision-making and sending you down the wrong path, along with how Freddie ran across the Sahara Desert without having the full confidence that he could actually do it. So without further ado, Freddie Bennett. Freddie Bennett, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you, Elliot. It's a pleasure to be here. I am feeling good. I am glad to hear. I'm excited to dive into our conversation today. And before we do, can you give the listeners a little context about who you are and what it is that you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I think of myself as a change maker. This is about giving people the ingredients for change and the power to make it happen. That's why I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help a million people do the things that they thought they couldn't do because everybody wants change. We all say that I'm going to change my life. I'm going to change my mindset. I'm going to change my body. But then we hold ourselves back. We stop ourselves. And that's certainly where I've been. But I recognized a long time ago, if I can be where I was in terms of my life, my mental health, my fitness, my outlook, and totally turn things around, totally transform things to then go on and do what I've done, then I know that we can give everybody the knowledge, the mindset, the tools, the habits to make their impossible dreams come true. I love that. And take us back to Freddie prior to becoming the change maker. What did your life look like then? Was it quite as inspirational? What was the day in, day out of your life back in those moments? It's a great question. And I always call this person the old Freddy. Like now I'm, I'm Freddy 2.0. This was Freddy 1.0. Life used to look very different. I, I lived in, in the UK. I was part of the corporate world. I was a middle manager executive for a big global company. On the outside, life looked pretty decent. I had the I had uh-huh. a Porsche on the driveway. I had the Rolex on the wrist. I had the young family. I had the holidays, I had the granite in the kitchen. You would look at my life and I was, you know, let's say I was around 35 then, you would look at my life and say, wow, that guy's done, he's done pretty well for himself. He's got a pretty, dare I say, normal, fairly successful life. But on the inside, I was falling apart. I was highly stressed, massively struggling with my mental health. I had the UK suicide prevention hotline, the Samaritans on speed dial unfit. I was overweight. Uh, the only thing I could run was a bar tab. I was drinking every night, so addicted to alcohol, addicted to drugs, burnt out, stressed out, overworked, underslept. And I thought that this was life as good as it gets. I thought, look, you know, you're a grown up now. This is what life is all about. I would always say to my family, to my kids, if you want the car, if you want the holidays, then I have to go and make these sacrifices. I was working 60 hour weeks, always traveling. 
And I was always trying to wear this mask because I felt like an imposter. I thought, when, when am I going to get found out? When are people going to realize that I'm not a very talented worker, that I'm not very smart, yeah, I have all these vices? And trying to wear this mask all day long was just wearing me out. So what did I do? Well, I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll drink more and I'll party more and I'll work harder and I'll just bury myself deeper and deeper into my vices and then everything will be okay. And this was how my life was going. And there were warning signs that things weren't going in the right direction. I was in New York City and a drug dealer held a loaded gun to my head and pulled the trigger. Oh, wow. I could blame the situation or blame the drug dealer, but let's face it, I was buying drugs. So, so what would you expect when you annoy the drug dealers? I was thrown off planes. I was blind drunk in countries in the Middle East where drinking is illegal. And I had to make a very quick exit from that country. I was getting in trouble at work. My relationships were falling apart. And I was still blaming the world. I was blaming the stress of my job. I was blaming my clients. I was blaming my family who didn't understand me. I was blaming my colleagues who weren't on the same page as me. I was blaming the economy, the politicians, everything. I was blaming everybody, but not taking responsibility for myself, for my own actions and for my future. And then it was my dad, really, that helped me see a different way, that helped me see I was going down the wrong path. And this could be good, but the bad part is that he had to die to show me this. And one day a few years ago, uh, it was about five years ago now, I was I was at work doing the whole, if anyone's been hungover at work, they know that when you're slumped in your chair, your chin rested in your hand on the desk, slumped away, just stabbing at the keyboard, thinking, how long is it so I can go home? And then the phone rang. And it was the hospital saying, your dad's been taken to hospital. I had to walk out of the office just with my suit and my laptop bag, jump in my car, drive 300 miles. And to cut a long and painful story short, I had one of those days that we all hope that we don't have. When you have a normal, you wake up, it's just any other day. You have a lunch, it's any other day. But then by that evening, I was watching my dad die and I kissed him on the forehead and I said goodbye and then he died and that should have been the moment when I changed my life in the Hollywood version of this story that is the moment but the truth is I use this as an excuse to party harder drink more be more reckless be more out of control because hey you only live once that's what I said to myself you only live once your dad showed you life is short party harder drink more take more drugs be more stupid be more selfish and then it was one day on on the 8th of June when I woke up in, or I came to, I should probably say, late for work again. There's no way I was going to work that day. And I came to in this grey hotel room, in this grey building, next to a grey highway in the UK on a grey British rainy day. I staggered to the bathroom mirror. I looked at myself and I saw this guy and I didn't recognise him. I saw the beer belly spilling over my underwear. I saw the the... the shipped yellow nicotine stained teeth I saw the bloodshot eyes the wrinkles and I didn't recognize this person and I just thought do I just end it now where is my life going what am I actually doing what am I playing at because this isn't getting any better and then I thought or well, do I give myself one more chance one more chance to prove to myself and to my family and to anyone else what I'm truly capable of do I end it now or do I just say one more have one more spin of the wheel, one more go. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I gave myself one more chance 
to be the person who I knew that I could be. And that was the day that I started to become the new version of myself. That's the day that Freddie 2.0 was born. Yeah, and in regards to climbing up the ladder to Freddie 2.0, I can't imagine he just appeared overnight with these abs, with white teeth, and <laughs> being back to a healthy, sociable version of himself that he essentially recognized and wanted to be. So that path towards 2.0, how did it look? Because it sounds like, you know, that was the beginning of it all. But we all know that for all the stories where someone transforms into the 2.0 version of themselves, there's probably thousands of other stories where they went back to that 1.0 version of themselves. So did you have any of those moments on your path there? Yeah, it's a really interesting story. And this is why I always talk about the Hollywood version of when we change our own lives. Because in the movie, you wake up and you have the revelation and the sunlight shines down on you and you say, oh, wow, this is it. And then you become the new person and live happily ever after. But the truth is so much different. The truth, real change, real transformation isn't beautiful Instagram videos. It's not the posts that are beautifully lit. It's not the, the well thought out stories. Real change is ugly. <laughs> real transformation is tears. It's looking deep into ourselves, it's fighting our demons, it's staring in the mirror and saying, do I want to actually carry on with this? It was easier to stay as I was. Yep. It was easy to be lying in bed, to be drinking every day, to be feeling sorry for myself, to complain. That stuff was fun. Change is so bloody hard, so ugly. And I tried to change so many times. And this is how I was so frustrated because I thought I was doing all the right things. I bought all the books. I'd go on the hungover motivational book shopping sprees on Amazon. It's like, okay, I'm gonna, which book's gonna change my life? I would be searching for that breakthrough. I had the podcasts by Robbins. I read the books by Goggins. I tried to feel the fear and do it anyway. I even practiced the subtle art of not giving a fuck and none of it worked. I went to the seminars. I did the courses. I got the coaching. I got the therapy. And none of it worked because I was always looking for this final piece of the puzzle externally. I was always looking for someone to say the phrase, who's going to say that thing that makes the light bulb go off in my brain. And I think, oh yes, that's it. That's the answer. Now I'm going to change. I didn't realize that any of this true transformation comes from within. It's, and it can be disheartening, as I say, when you do the right thing. And also we know as, especially with men and mental health, they always say how important it is to put your hand up, to ask for help to say I'm struggling. I did all those things. I said I was struggling. I booked in the therapy. I went to the therapy. But what no one tells you about is if you do all the right, so-called the right things, and then you still feel broken. I was thinking to myself like a car. Car's got a problem. Take it to the garage. Car gets fixed. Get back on the road. But I just kept on slashing my own tires and, and I couldn't make this journey happen. And there's nothing more disheartening than to say, look, hang on. I was kind of religion, a whole other thing, but I was looking at whoever is a higher power and saying, come on, I did my part of the bargain. I did the right thing. <laughs> I asked for the help. I got the therapy. I read the books. I did the counseling, listened to the podcasts, got the coaching, and I still felt broken. And that's when, when I realized we have to keep going. And when I say I felt broken, it was many different types of broken. Sometimes I would just feel stuck. I would feel that I wasn't moving. Like I was always double questioning every thought, every decision. I felt like I was invisible. Other times I would fall totally off the wagon again in some spectacular 
meltdown when um, I tell the world, this is it, guys. This is me. This is the new Freddy. Healthy habits, no vices, up early, going to the gym. And then I'd find myself naked in a hotel room at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> uh, that wasn't my hotel room. And then it would all be a spectacular disaster. It's kind of like a low-budget version of the Wolf of Wall Street. And that... Yeah, the, the <laughs> version. But then I realized something about change, that it isn't a straight line. I wish it was, but it isn't. And one thing that, that I understood is it doesn't matter how many times we fail in our journey. We can fail a thousand times. I failed a thousand times. But you only need to get it right once. Uh... If you get it right once, then you win. Then life changes forever. And that's why you have to keep going. You have to keep trying. The only thing that that means we fail with change is if we stop. Momentum always wins over stagnation. We always worry, and that is why, how do I do this? What's the perfect approach? What's the perfect formula? I know everyone in the bloody social world is talking about the blueprint at the moment. What's the blueprint? What's my five-step plan? You don't need to know how. The answer to how is yes. You only need to know the next step, the next step. It's a true phrase, the, uh, the path illuminates as you walk it. It's only one step forward. But we get paralyzed by thinking, how do I do this? How do I hack this habit? How do I optimize this part of my life? I fully 100% believe that life is chaos. And this is where you may get me on a bit of a rant here, Elliot, when, um, when it comes to real change and true change. Everyone, everyone in the social media world right now, all the dare I say coaches, all the experts, all the gurus, we're all talking about optimization, optimize your sleep, optimize your macronutrients, optimize your nutrition, change all these little micro habits, and then then you'll have this 2.0 version of yourself. But I think it's bullshit. It's bullshit because life, real life, is chaos. And that is never going to change. And too many people are trying to control chaos. I tried to control chaos, and that's why I kept on failing in this journey. When I have sick parents, when I have kids, when I have worries, stresses, mortgages, the global political and economic situation, everything around us, life is absolute chaos. And too many people, and this was me as well, tried to control the chaos with my sleep tracker and weighing out the food and doing this. And yes, I know habits are important, and I'm sure we'll come to that. But trying to optimize everything, trying to control chaos does not work, especially if your life is chaos. So what do we have to do instead? We have to learn to use chaos. We have to learn to perform at our best and to be in our best in those times of chaos. And that's what I had to do. Everyone can perform well. Everyone can be that 2.0 version of themselves when they're getting the eight hours sleep and they've got the perfect meal prep and they've got all the time for the gym and the kids are being looked after. Everyone can do that. That's easy. When it feels like your life is falling apart, when everyone is bringing problems to your doorstep, when your kids are sick, when the friends calling you up in tears on the phone because their life's falling apart, when you have your boss and your deadlines and your stress and your mortgage, then, then when you can still be the 2.0 version of yourself. Now that takes something. That takes real determination, real talent, real commitment to be who you are. So yes, I did try to change a thousand times. I tried to control this chaos, but that one time, that one time when it actually worked was when I stopped trying to control chaos 
and just started to say to myself, how can I be the best version of myself and try and use this chaos to the best of my ability? Yeah, I like that approach. I had a guest not so long ago say that he didn't really believe in balance. He was just saying that life is more of a juggling act. You've just got to learn how to keep those balls going. And when one more ball is added to the equation, you keep on going and you keep on going rather than thinking, okay, how am I going to get this all so that these balls are just flying and I don't have to do anything. I just keep my hands free. So the reality is you just got to keep going with them. You've got to keep going with them. Of course, you get better on how to juggle and that is part of the equation, but ultimately you're always still juggling. So I think that that approach of not thinking that any magic silver bullet is going to come in, whether you fix your nutrition or you fix the way you sleep or your habits, of course, these things help. And these things really, really do allow you to juggle in the most effective manner. But ultimately, you're still going to encounter challenges, chaos, juggling through those moments, irrespective of if you do those things. So I think the bigger part of the puzzle there is like, do those things because they're going to help, but don't expect to be living this really Mm. simple stress-free life if you do all those things anyway so i like that approach as well Mm, 100 percent. and i see so many people they they'll share the ice bath on instagram that every single day the ice bath will be there and but yeah ice baths i'm sure are great but i'm more of a jacuzzi guy i must admit (laughs) but yeah ice (laughs) baths are great nutrition is great healthy habits are great dropping your vices is great but doing these things alone and expecting your life to change it's like repainting your guest room when your house is on fire. You're saying to everyone, oh, look, look how beautiful the new walls are. Look how beautiful this foot. I've really redecorated this room, but the whole rest of the house is burning down. So we have to look within ourselves. And, and this is why so much of what I focus on and what I do is it's about how we see ourselves and our identities and that internal version of ourselves. Because ultimately, your performance will never exceed your level of self-image. If you hate yourself, if you think of yourself as a disaster zone, if you think you don't deserve happiness, if you think you don't deserve health, if you have that mindset of a victim, of an alcoholic, of a poor performer, of an overweight person, then that is always who you're going to be. And that's why we have to do the deep work and change. If I give you a million dollars and you have the mindset of a broke person, you're not going to keep that million dollars. If you hit 6% body fat, but you have the mindset of an overweight person, you are not going to keep that level of body fat. If I give you a healthy, happy relationship and you have the mindset of a broken single person, you are not going to stay in that relationship. Too many people are just focusing on, can I get the external thing? And maybe if they work themselves into the ground, whether it is money, business, health, happiness, love, maybe if they sacrifice so much, they'll get it. But if they haven't done the internal work, if they haven't conquered their mind and conquered their self-image, then it will be a temporary passing pleasure. They will not Uh keep that which they seek in their life. Yeah, well, they'll obtain these things, but they won't give them any fulfillment whatsoever, right? Kind of like you mentioned earlier. You had everything on paper in which someone might look at as an ideal world, an ideal life, but that's the opposite of how you are feeling. So it's either not going to be sustained or it's not going to be fully enjoyed and you will feel this sense of emptiness still, even though you got everything that you thought would fill that hole. And what came up exactly? I'm sure that this didn't just arrive from the overworking. I'm sure that there was some trauma buried beneath the surface. What came up in that process of you 
getting to this 2.0 version of yourself because of it's usually always linked to something. So I'm curious about what it was for you that led you down that path in the first place. You're right. There's always trauma in, <laughs> uh, in there somewhere. I mean, for me, I had a very chaotic upbringing as a child. So I was born and raised in the UK. My dad's dad, so my paternal grandfather, came from Birmingham in the UK. He was in the horse industry. So he supplied horses to a group of gentlemen who are today better known as the Peaky Blinders. That was the circles that my family moved in. Those, you know, those slightly dodgy on a bit of a blurred line as to what was legal, what wasn't legal. Sometimes very glamorous, sometimes very fun and enjoyable. Other times terrifying, scary, chaotic. I'd always remember as a child, one week we would have money and my parents would almost be dancing around the room like a movie throwing the money in the air where you've got everyone was happy and I loved that I was like my parents are happy nobody's arguing times are good next week there'd be zero money my parents would hide behind the sofa and then send me to answer the door when the debt collectors came knocking and they said there's a man at the door you need to tell him that, that we're not home that you're here on your own because he won't come in if there's just a child at home on his own and I thought this was normal and my parents relationship would deteriorate my mum was my dad's third wife it was on wife number four when he died as well as this very chaotic upbringing and again as I turned into a teenager I remember my um, on my 18th birthday my dad didn't get me a present because he presents are stupid when you're 18 he wants a, he wants a birthday present thanks dad and uh, but he did say well you know you're 18 now son you're a man so now I can tell you happy birthday and I'll share this with you I'm fucking your mum's best friend I was like oh thanks dad would have preferred a PlayStation, to be honest, but there you go. Uh, as presents go, that wasn't the best. And But this was the kind of life that I lived in. So my, my parents didn't have normal jobs. We didn't gotcha. have a normal household. And again, it doesn't sound very glamorous, but I just remember growing up thinking I wanted stability. I wanted normality. I looked at all the other kids who had parents and, and yeah, their lives weren't glamorous, but there was no fear. There was no arguing. They went on nice family holidays. I said, the other parent haven't had a bottle of wine at five o'clock in the afternoon. Why did my parents do that? The other parents didn't smoke 60 cigarettes a day. And I remember looking at all the other kids and thinking, all I want is a stable, quiet life. I want to have a normal job where I get a normal paycheck. No one's knocking on my door furniture doesn't disappear no one's having arguments about money can I just I, I just wanted to be normal and that's why I went into the corporate world I was the first person in my family to go to university so people were like oh what what are you doing that for why are you studying I was like, well, I want to learn I want to have a normal job why do you want a normal job I was like because I want to to me that was success yeah having a, a, dare I say, a normal job with stability, with a regular paycheck. But then here's where, and I always wonder why, because I, I created that. I had that life. I got myself a good job. I was, I was in London, working in the city, global corporate company. And I often say to myself, why did I destroy it in a way? Did I self-sabotage? Was it imposter syndrome? And the thinking I have on this is that I believe that we cannot deny our true nature. <laughs> and again, we see this with a lot of people. And again, I'm very much speaking from experience. Those of us who have dealt with vices, with alcohol, with drugs, 
I, uh, I'm four years sober now. I, I totally stopped drinking. But that is part of me. That is my true nature. So many of us, we try and fit ourselves into a certain image, a certain label, and we deny our true nature. And when we start to deny our true nature, then it's always going to, to creep in somewhere. It's like if you build a house on top of an oak tree, yeah. sooner or later, you're going to find an oak tree coming up through your lounge because you can't deny that force of nature. So my true nature was to be outgoing, was to be fun, was to be a bit chaotic. I have a very all or nothing personality. A lot of people who have got a, uh, a problem with alcohol, they always say, oh, I'm very all or nothing. I don't have an off switch. Life has sold the path. That was me. That is my true nature. And I do remember in my first week in the corporate world, 22-year-old graduate Freddie, shiny shoes, fresh haircut, badly fitting suit. I was in this world and I felt like an imposter because everyone else had come from different schools and different universities. Everyone going, wow, if you think I sound posh, you should see the people who were there. Everyone, <laughs> everyone knew how to play the game. They were doing the networking and the handshakes and the elevator pitches. I was just there in this crazy glass and marble office. And I was saying, guys, there's free coffee here. Can you believe that? Free coffee. Wow. And they were like, yeah, it's an office. There's free coffee here. And I, I was totally new to this world. I didn't know. I was like, you can have as many coffees as you want. And they were like, yeah. This is amazing. Wow. <laughs> I was kind of like this, this like weird, slightly chaotic country bumpkin dropped in the city. But early on, I was pulled to one side and the, the powers that be, the managers, they said to me, look, Freddie, you know, we gave you a job here because we thought you were smart and we thought you could do a good job. But if you're going to be successful, this doesn't really work on a podcast, but they did the whole like of this, they sort of waved their hands around me, covering the whole of They're like, all of this needs to change, basically implying that you could be really successful here. All you need to do is change your personality, the way you look, the way you think, the way you talk, and the way you interact with people. If you could just change all of those things, then you're going to be just fine. The problem is that I believe them. Uh, and I think I believe them because I had that negative self-image from when I was growing up. And not only that, you crave that stability. And that was the answer to you getting that stability, right? That job was your source of that consistent paycheck and that home that you were going to eventually buy right exactly and that's what i thought and so many of us it's an if then paradigm i call it if i want the stability the house the car the happiness then i need to make this sacrifice if i want this then i have to do that if i want this then i have to do that and that's what i was saying to myself so if i want this life that i told myself that i wanted then I have to hide my true nature. I have to hide my true personality. I have to hide who I truly am. I have to bury away what I truly want. And, and I did it. I did it for over 10 years. And then you start to think, well, why did the drinking come out? Why did the vices come out? Why did I turn into this very fearful, very bitter, very jealous, very on the surface, very jolly, very happy. As I say, life is soul of the party, but on the inside, very dark, very sad, very depressed. And I think it was because I was hiding my true nature and I hid my true mm. nature because I believed that who I truly was, was a bad person, wasn't worthy, wasn't capable of love, wasn't deserving of 
happiness, fulfillment, success. So I thought, well, this person who I truly am isn't good. Then I need to either hide him, bury him, or destroy him. And I probably tried to do all three. Yeah. But, but it is crazy, as I say, how we don't change how we see ourselves. We try everything on the outside, and we try and fiddle around the edges with generic quotes about mindset and stepping out of your comfort zone and everything else. We share the Instagram quotes. All of it is bullshit unless we change the way that we see ourselves and what we know we deserve. I talk about our identity versus our role. Yeah. You always identify yourself based on your role in life. I'm an executive. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a Porsche driver. I'm a personal trainer. I'm a podcast host. When we say, who are you? We always say, this is me. But we talk about our roles. And this is why, if all we are attached to is our role, this is why when someone loses a job or a relationship, or you see it in sports stars, so once they retire or when they get injured, because their whole identity is based around their role, if you take that role away, their life will fall apart. Yeah. People, I want to be an influencer. I want to be a millionaire. All these things are roles. We're always chasing these external roles that we could put the labels on ourselves. What we really need to focus on is our identity. Everyone ignores that. Say so if I, this is who I am as my identity, you could drop me naked on a desert island and this is still who I am. And nothing can change that. No job, no amount of money, no amount of success. What I see in the mirror, none of that changes. None of that is worth anything unless our identity is a 10.0, unless our identity is a 10 out of 10. And this is why I have a problem with, again, so many of the generic information out there change your life, change your mindset, transform your body. It's all change, 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 change. And yes, I call myself a change maker, but this is internal change. Everyone else is focused on the external change. Imagine telling yourself, I need to change my thinking. I need to change my mindset. If you tell yourself you need to change, that implies that you think you're broken, that you think something is missing, that you think something needs to be fixed. Imagine going around all day, every day, saying, I need to change my thinking. I need to change my mindset. We're telling ourselves, I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm broken. I'm mm. broken. I need to be fixed. I need to be fixed. You're never going to create that life, that version of yourself that you want to create if you have this constant, ongoing, internal podcast inside your own mind saying, you're broken, you're broken, you're broken, you're broken. That's why that internal identity, that self-belief, that self-understanding, that map, that compass of this is who I want to be, this is how I'm going to get there, this is how I'm going to make it happen, that is so vital. Yeah, absolutely. I tried to change my habits so many times. I tried to use willpower. I tried to, again, make the habits, do the willpower, stop the drinking. It never works. Willpower never works until we actually want to become a different person. Until I said, I am Freddie 2.0, Freddy 2.0 does not drink. That's when it changed for me. Not when, oh, I probably shouldn't drink. I said, I'm trying to quit drinking. Everyone says I should quit drinking, so I should probably do it. Never works. Yeah. It's when we say, this is who I am. This is the way it's going to be. Yeah, essentially, there has to be a lot of conviction there and a absolute destination of ultimately where you want to be. 
and based on your true knowing as well, right? Like you said, really? you had that pinpoint of stability of where you wanted to be, but you have to really look inwards and determine, okay, where do I truly, truly want to be with all of the masks, everything taken off, all of the things that I think that I am, that people have placed on me and then decide what's truly left and then allow that to define your path. And something that's interesting to me is obviously you mentioned that you can't escape your true nature, but it looks like you've really? channeled that nature into something more productive. And it makes sense with this nature of the all or nothing and the things that you've done in terms of these extreme challenges that you create for yourself. Is that part of you channeling it away from the alcohol, the partying, the drugs towards something that still is in line with your true nature, but leads you to a much more productive outcome? Yeah, 100%. And again, I see this a lot with my clients and with the businesses that I've worked with. And we believe, so we talk about change. We believe when, when we want to go in a different direction in our life, we should usually tone ourselves down. Uh, we should say, oh, yeah, I, I shouldn't be this all or nothing person. And that's who I try to be. I'm not the party boy anymore. So I tried the, I went from being weekends in Vegas to to sitting at home in my cozy sweater by the fireplace, you know, journaling and then thinking I'm going to do some meditation now. And that's a dapper fireplace, but it's nice and very genuine. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, this, yeah, I went for this very extreme lifestyle, very calm, very quiet, very sedate. I'm all for, for taking time to reflect and journal and meditate and everything. But I get, I'd become this person who I wasn't truly. I went for a very all or nothing type. You know, I can't be that person anymore. Any time when we're saying to ourselves, I should do this, I can't be doing that, you're not allowed to be that version of you. I always think that's a dangerous place to be. That's when we relapse. That's when our darkest sides tend to come out. So I thought, yeah, how can I be the best version of me while also being true to my nature and my character? And that's, as you say, when these extreme challenges came out i'd always liked the thought of adventure and, and the thought of one of my hundred percent truest beliefs is to live a life without regret and that comes back to when, when my dad died because i always think that day that he died when he woke up that morning he didn't know that he was going to die yeah. it was just a normal day for him there would have been a moment i don't know when it was but there would have been a moment that day when he said to himself oh shit i'm gonna die today and I always think, what what regrets went through his mind? I did He didn't get to tell me, but what fears, what thoughts, what, oh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I hadn't. There must have been so many regrets. And I always said, I didn't want to live a life of regret. And now I don't want to help other people live a life. Oh, I want to help other people avoid that life of regret. And I'd always wanted to do these amazing, wonderful, crazy challenges to test myself and to show people that anyone can do anything they set their mind to, to actually prove it, not just talk about it in an Instagram post. And I saw this race, I'd had it in my mind for years, the Marathon de Saba, the, the world's toughest foot race, the Marathon of the Sands, 300 kilometers through the Sahara Desert, seven marathons in six days. And I'd always been the guy who was at the bar telling everyone, I'm going to do this race one day. And I'd be showing people on my phone to say, look at this, world's toughest ultra marathon. I'm going to do it. Yeah, just get me. Yeah, I'll have a beer, thanks. Yeah, and I'll do that. And then they'll, and everyone was like, yeah, of course you will, Freddie. And I became that guy who always says he's going to do something, but then never actually does it. And mm -hmm. then I got a bit older and a bit larger and a bit less fit. And it was always going to be one of those things that we all have that we say, I'm going to do it all one day, but one day never comes. 
But then after my dad's death, when I was in the early days of my sobriety, of getting my life kind of in the direction that I wanted it, I wouldn't say it was there, but it was no longer a dumpster fire. It was taking small steps towards this truly Freddy 2.0. I was doing my internet browsing and I saw it. And before I knew it, my credit card was out and I'd signed up. And I got home that night and I told my wife, you know that race I've been telling everyone about the last five years? Well, I've got a place. I'm doing it. And she burst into tears. And because she was like, and she said, you're going to die. But because as I was saying, this was the very early stages of my transformation, my rebirth. I was still unfit. I was still overweight. I couldn't run around the block. And I was, yeah, you hear of couch to 5K. I had to embark upon the couch to world's toughest ultra marathon. And I had 18 months to do it. So I had to go from, as I say, couldn't run a kilometer to running 300 kilometers across the deadliest place on the planet and completing the toughest race on the planet in a space of 18 months. Yeah, that's no small feat whatsoever. And there's a <laughs> bit of a transition between couch to 5K from couch to 300 kilometers across the Sahara Desert yeah. as well. So during the moment of preparation, obviously you were on the path to improving yourself, to being the person that you wanted to be as well. But approaching that stage, what did those initial moments when you stepped on the start line look like? Were you confident? Were you feeling like you were prepared? Were you in fear? What runs through your mind when you know that you're about to take on a feat just like that? It was crazy. I mean, it was the nearest I can describe it. It's like running an ultra marathon on the surface of Mars. If you think about this race, it, it's called the world's toughest foot race for a reason. It's 300 kilometers across the Sahara Desert. So temperatures are you know, 55 degrees, 125 degrees, depends on how you like your temperatures. It's a self-sufficient race. So you have to carry all of your food, all of your equipment, all of your clothing. You have to carry everything on your back for the whole race. There's no kind of like stopping off at the hotel for a Diet Coke up at the end of every day. <laughs> All of your food, all of your calories, everything has to be carried. Water is rationed. You sleep in the dirt every night. So if you think you have to run a marathon, sleep in the dirt, get up the next day, can't have a shower, can't change your underwear, just put on your shoes, run another marathon, get up the next day, run another marathon. And the day after that was the long day, the double marathon, so 56 miles. And that was the day I treated myself to my one change of underwear. I thought I'm going to really push the boat out here. <laughs> yeah, fresh underwear with fresh socks, pop they can't even have a shower. So I had to prepare for this race and I found myself there on the start line. And it was always like a war movie. You have helicopters buzzing overhead, you have the sand blowing in your face. It feels like someone's opened the oven door and just this heat blast just hitting you. And I was thinking, how can I run like this? And the biggest thing was, is that I'm not a runner. Everyone around me, they were runners. They were running types. They had the gear. They were looking at their watches. They were doing all the right things. Signed up to the running forums. Exactly, yeah. Like they actually enjoyed running, which was a good start when you're about to do the world's toughest ultra marathon. I felt like that kid in the office again. I felt like that kid, like an imposter, surrounded by people. Everyone else knew what they were doing. Everybody else was talking the talk. They were discussing heart rate zones and hydration strategies and and I fully admit I wasn't winging it, but I wasn't as prepared as these people who had literally trained a lifetime. They'd become running obsessed with this. And I was there saying, this is just what I wanted to do. So I had to go and do it. So there was fear. 
there was a lack of confidence. There was a, a feeling of imposter syndrome. But that's when I did get one of my revelations as well, that we, we always, whatever we want to achieve in life, we're always looking for confidence. We're always saying, I need to feel confident and then I'm going to do this. I need to get the confidence, then I'm going to do that. If only I can get a bit more confidence from somewhere and then I'm going to go off on that challenge. But the truth is this, confidence only appears after the action, not before. If we're on the start line, probably metaphorically as well as physically in this case, if we're on the start line waiting for confidence to appear, that confidence will never appear. The trick, the talent, is to know that we have to take the first step without confidence. The confidence appears at the finish line, not at the start line. And that's what I had to tell myself. I had to take that first step, even though I didn't feel confident. I'd love to be able to tell you all the motivation, I had to face my fears. I had to smash through my comfort zone. I had to do all these things that all the, the Instagram people talk about. It wasn't that. I was terrified. I had to move forward whilst surrounded in terror, whilst not even knowing if I was going to succeed. But I think it's a really interesting concept of confidence. So many of the, we always seek confidence, but so many of the times when we make the biggest steps in our life, we actually do it when we don't know if we're going to succeed or not. When we get married, we would like it to succeed, but we're not 100% confident. When they did the Apollo missions to the moon, they weren't confident in success. There were tens of thousands of people when the Apollo missions, when Neil Armstrong and the gang went off to the moon, like they go down the shops, when Neil, <laughs> when Neil and his friend went off to the moon, tens of thousands of people weren't confident at all in them. They thought they were going to fail. They thought it was going to be a huge disaster. Even in the US government, they were worried it was going to be a, a propaganda nightmare if this thing failed. They were terrified. But they still took the action anyway, even though they'd done all the preparation, but there was not 100% confidence. When you move to a new country, when you start a job, when you buy a house, when you start an exercise program, we can never be 100% confident that it's going to work. But the trick is that we have to do the work anyway. We have to take the action. And that's what I did. I had to take the first step into the Sahara and then the next step and the next step. And what I had to do was just break it down. There was little tiny markers in the sand, like a little rock that was painted with, with luminous paint. And that's how you knew where to go. So you didn't kind of totally go off to the middle of the... The only thing that I thought was, I need to get to the next stone, the next stone. Because I knew if I was thinking 300 kilometers across the deadliest place on earth, I would freak out. I'd never run an ultramarathon before. I'd never done longer than a marathon. And that was in the UK in my life before this race. And the temperatures were a little bit different as well. Yeah, temperatures. <laughs> when you're training in Liverpool in February, and then you find yourself in the Sahara Desert in their summer, it was a bit of a climate change. So I had to keep moving forward. And it, that is true confidence. It is moving forward. It is doing the thing that you're afraid to do. It is taking the step that you're terrified to take without confidence, sometimes without faith, sometimes when the whole world, and I had many people telling me that I was wasting my time, I was going to fail, I was going to look stupid, I was going to die. That is true strength. That strength to quietly take another step and another step, even when people think that you can take no more, even if you're not sure what the outcome is going to be. But again, still keep taking 
that momentum. Did you ever borrow from preparation? Because I'm wondering if we can at least fuel ourselves enough to get to a point where we can take action. Because I find there needs to be enough activation energy for anyone to do anything realistically. And I feel that sometimes I think that generally jumping two feet in, not really knowing too much and learning along the way, as you mentioned earlier, the path illuminates as you walk it. And I think that half the time, if we think too much about it, and realistically, you can't think yourself think your way to a new way of acting so realistically just jumping into it learning along the way is probably the best thing that you can do but can you borrow from preparation in a way because realistically if you're approaching that start line and you were the same version of yourself 16 months before the reality would have been true you probably would have hit you might have not even made it out of the van the heat probably would have been too much mm-hmm. but the fact that you know that you put in 18 months of preparation of course you're not certain that you can do it but you probably had just enough to say okay maybe there's a chance that I can based on the fact that I have ran a marathon, the fact that I have prepared for these 18 months. And also I guess that work on the identity as well, because if people can't touch you quite as much when you are able to say, well, I know a lot of people saying that I won't be able to do this, but ultimately deep down, I know my character, I know who I am. So is there an ability to borrow from preparation and also your inner knowing and your own identity as well? Yeah, 100% there is. And I think it's a key point to make because there is a difference between taking imperfect action and mm. winging it and, and just thinking, oh, well, just rock up and yeah, this will be fine. I have done that in races since, in ultramarathons since then, and there's been a total disaster. And I've had very, very long and painful walks where it's all just blown up in my face. And you're right, that whole boring from preparation concept is key. And for me, it was about understanding what I can control and what I can't control. Um, Because I knew that I could control my preparation to a a fairly big extent. I knew I could control my actions. I could control my thoughts. I could control my reactions. And preparing for a challenge like this, and I say this because I I know that many people listening, this this would be their worst nightmare. And that is important to say that the steps that I take and the, the approaches that I teach can be applied for anyone or anything. This isn't just about running across a desert or doing all these extreme things, because I know that most people in their right minds wouldn't want to do these things, and I do not blame them whatsoever. But the steps that we can take is say, I knew what I could control. I could control my preparation to some extent. So how do I get prepared for this? What do I need to do? And this is all about having compass, having a plan. If you think of a ship on the sea, which is very different to a runner in a desert, but a ship on the sea, you have to know what port you're going to. You have to set your sails. You have to set your compass. You have to go there. If you say, I'm just going to sail around for a bit and see what happens, you're probably going to find yourself lost and shipwrecked. If you say, I'm going to go to five different ports at the same time and multitask my sailing, again, you're never going to get anywhere. So I had to set my direction, set my compass know not only how I was going to get there but also who I needed to become to get there in terms of of my own mindset in terms of mentally as well so that was a key part and that does help build our confidence and so we can never be 100% confident but if we've done the preparation in terms of our logistics in terms of what helped for me as well was visualization and so much of this race there was the running there was the heat but a lot of it was around equipment what happens if your water bottle leaks and you're literally stranded in the middle of the desert? What happens if your shoelace breaks and you can't go down to the supermarket to get a new shoelace? 
many of the people who dropped out of the race, it was things like that that, that went wrong. I mean, this race has got a crazy eighty percent of people don't don't finish, and these are seasoned, experienced runners that have devoted their life to this. If you get a stomach bug, um, like I say, I won't I won't paint you a, a too detailed picture, but you have to carry your own toilet paper even. If that runs out, then you've got a problem. Um, so it was things like that that, that really disrupted people. As I say a broken shoelace, a leaking bottle, because you get zero help with this thing. And so I knew that by visualizing different different scenarios, if again that if then paradigm in a positive way, if this happens, then I'm going to do this. Yep. If this situation occurs, then I'm going to do that because it stops us from panicking. And so many times in our life, when when thing goes wrong, when we make the bad decisions, when we make the bad choices, it's generally from a place of fear. It's either when we're fearful, when we're stressed, or when we're confused. So trying to minimize when those times, fear is, fear is an emotion, but we can manage it, we can use it, we can harness it. In those moments when it feels like all is falling apart, when it feels like all is lost, how can I control what I can control, which is my thoughts, mm -hmm. my mindset, my emotions, and make this situation into something that can propel me forward, not either hold me back or push me off the track into failure. And how can people carry that into their day-to-day? -day? I'm sure that there aren't going to be too many people, maybe there's one or two, wanting to sign up to the Sahara Desert experience after hearing this today. How can people apply this to their day-to-day -day lives and apply this mentality? Because I should imagine that once you've crossed that finish line, there was that effect of, okay, well, if I've done this, what can't I do? Well, yeah, it was exactly that. And, when, and it's interesting as well, when, when I crossed the finish line and you kind of, you get the medal and you do the media thing and I came back to the UK and did the talks and everything else. There was that feeling of, I felt unstoppable. I, I, I what, what can I do? I can take on the world. I can conquer everything for a while. But then I got in this strange place where I thought, hang on, I've got a story now. I can dine out on this for the rest of my life if I want. I can always tell the story of the desert and there's this and there's that. But on the edges, the, the, the darkness, as I called it, started to creep back in. Like the, uh, I was eyeing up the, uh, the, the whiskey bottles and uh, thinking, well, yeah, I, I've earned a night on the sofa, actually. I'm, I'm, yeah, I have earned a, a, an extra large pizza. And yeah, I have earned a lion. I've, I've done this crazy race. Six months later, I was there saying, yeah, I think I will have another takeaway, actually, because I've, I've got the medal, I've done the race. And... I noticed myself slipping back into old habits because I'd achieved this goal, this thing that I'd always talked about, this impossible challenge, this amazing uh -huh. feat. I'd done it. I'd achieved it. And then once I'd, I'd hit there, I was starting to, to slip backwards into old habits, partly through laziness, maybe through contentment, maybe from thinking I've just, I've made it now. What else is there to do? And, and that's when I thought I'm going to have to find another challenge or another challenge. And that's when I say the, the world record attempt happened. That's when the Ironman happened. That's when the hundred mile nonstop race happened. All these things, there had to be another challenge. Um, but to answer your question around how can anyone start to apply this into their own life, it all comes down to three pillars and that those pillars are knowledge, mindset, and habits. And that that's everything that it's focused on because so many times in our lives, we focus on knowledge alone. Say, so, right, I'm, I'm going to listen to another podcast, another book, 
get another coaching program, go to another seminar. What knowledge do I need? We've already got enough knowledge. We do not need more knowledge. There's, there's enough information out there, enough free knowledge out there that will fill us up for multiple lifetimes. So we have to have enough knowledge for the desert. I had to have enough knowledge about the race, the conditions, my fitness requirements, everything else. But as I say, knowledge alone would not have got me to the end. The next up is habits. I had to get into the habit training. I had to have a plan. I couldn't just go for a few park runs and say, yeah, I'm just going gonna, gonna to get a bit fitter. That's what I'll do. I'll get a bit fitter. I had to have the right goals, again, setting my compass with the right habits to actually make it happen. Because otherwise, as I say, it's, with knowledge, it's like reading a book on how to, doing, on how to do press-ups. If you don't get into the habit of doing press-ups every day, then nothing is ever going to change. Uh -huh. So needed to have the knowledge, needed to have the right habits. Then the final pillar was the mindset. Because even if you have the knowledge, and using the, the press-up metaphor, even if you have the knowledge, okay, I know how to do a press-up. Even if you have the habit, okay, I'm going to do a press-up, a press-up. I'm going to do some press-ups every day. If you have then a mindset of, I'm an unfit person, I'm not good at press-ups, I'm never going to be good at press-ups, people are going to think I'm stupid for doing press-ups. If you don't have the mindset, again, you will never see, you will always undo your hard work, you will always find a way not to do that press-up. Or if you keep doing the press-ups, you will hate it so much, you will say, I'm going to have to do these press-ups and then have a bottle of whiskey afterwards, which get it, metaphorically is what I was doing in so many areas of my life. So it's all about understanding these three areas, knowledge, habits, mindset, and how they're interlinked. People can talk about mindset all day long and never do a damn thing to change their life. People can, as we were saying earlier, get so obsessive with optimizing their habits to the nth degree, but they don't even know why they're doing it. They haven't got the knowledge. They haven't got the true mindset. Or as we said, having knowledge alone, there is so much knowledge out there, too much knowledge think as you alluded to earlier can paralyze us we always think we need more knowledge i need to do this perfectly the best learning tool the best way to get knowledge is to is to take action i actually find knowledge is the enemy of learning this was an interesting concept that i kind of came across kind of play with it for a while to learn and to know is a verb. They're both verbs. You can't do two verbs at the same time. So a verb is like a doing word. So you can't do two verbs at the same time. Would you? you can't run and juggle. It's quite difficult. You can't cycle and read. It's quite difficult. So to learn and to know at the same time is really hard. So if we want to be learning, then we cannot be knowing. Because we find ourselves in these situations where we say, ah, I know all this already. I know that I've been here, been there, done it, seen it before. If I'm in a situation of knowing something, it's very difficult for me to learn. Because when we learn, we bring information in. When we know, we're usually trying to transmit information. It's like the phrase, someone who's a know-it-all. Ah, oh, they're a know-it-all. They're trying to tell everyone all their knowledge. That's why knowing can be the enemy of learning. Yeah, it's a crazy paradox, but it's so true. Like, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, I already know it, so I'm not going to explore it. Or I just need to gather up more information and more information and more information. 
but not necessarily do the thing which is actually going to teach and you know allow me to grow way more than anything else and i think that what i would encourage the listeners to do is to identify in the things that they want to achieve in their life what are they missing and i would say it's highly unlikely that they're missing information because most of us have the yeah and as you mentioned you only need a little bit of information to get started because if you are going to learn lessons along the way and they're going to be far more valuable than anything that you read in a book as well so yeah i would encourage people to look at that is like is it the information maybe probably not is it the mindset or is it the habits and then just pick apart which one it is and then start taking action on that one that you feel that you're missing because that is literally going to give you the answer to a lot of the things that you want to achieve in your life right 100% we love to overcomplicate things especially people with a complicated program to sell they love to sell a complicated solution if you want to get better at running then go for 100 runs if you want to get better at sales do 100 sales calls if you want to get better at picking up the opposite sex ask 100 people for their phone number Uh it is the action nothing is a better teacher than taking action but we all just sit there we sit there at home saying I need the coach, I need the book, I need the course, I need to learn, learn, learn before I take action. I've never had a running coach, yet I'm a world record holder, yet I've completed the world's toughest foot race, yet I've run 100 miles nonstop. I've never had a running coach. I just started running. I learned a bit on the way. I learned what worked for me. I learned what didn't work for me. I picked up a few injuries. They taught me some lessons. If I waited for all the knowledge, if I waited for all the information, I'd still be fiddling around with my Garmin 12,000 miles away in Liverpool <laughs> talking about a race that I was going to do one day. And it's taking action. Done is always better than perfect. It's the metaphor that I know people talk about a lot. It's being on the field, taking hits, making plays is always going to teach you so much more than fiddling around on the sidelines, waiting for that extra bit of information. That's, again, maybe that's that's the chaos that my life comes from. And then maybe that um, other people, I know that they need to have all the information and they need to make sure everything is covered. And maybe that does work for some people. But like I say, I, I, I come from a very pragmatic, real life approach that we do live in chaos. Our lives are chaos because the universe, yeah, we have chaos theory. The universe is by default chaos so we have to rather than try and swim against the tide sometimes you just have to jump into the river and say right i'm going to start swimming now and that's going to take me to where i'm going to go Uh, and that's when we learn that the biggest lessons of this journey yeah i like how we came full circle there and back to the chaotic nature of the world and how we need to address that as well it's a really really nice way to wrap up and you mentioned at the very start and usually my last question for people is what impact do they want to have on the world with the work that they do and you mentioned a million people at the very very start of this conversation Mm. where did that million people mindset come from it's a number that's always resonated with me because for for a while i was thinking all i want to do is literally sort my life out that's always the phrase i say to myself sort your life out i need to sort my life out and i'm still on that journey i'll probably go on that journey for the rest of my life but i thought how can i have a big impact this was down to, I think, to my dad as well, to bring it full circle. He always said his goal in life was to, was to help a million people. He had big dreams. He was a creative. He was into movies and photography and cinematography. And it was always his goal to have his name up in lights. And he always used to say, like, have a million people know my name. And to remember the name, John Willits was his name. I kind of took that and I ran with it. And I thought, how can I serve? 
I always think if I could fill my day with service, then everything will be okay. It's how can I serve a million people? And this is, again, where it comes full circle, where I was saying, I know that I do the crazy extreme challenges, but that was just me. This is about helping a million people to do the things they thought they couldn't do, to live a life without regret. And yes, for me, it was the Sahara Desert and the and the world records. And now I'm, I'm running across the Arctic to the North Pole in early 2024. But for someone else, it's going to be to start a hobby, to get a bit fitter, to start a business, to start a relationship, maybe to leave a relationship, to book that trip to go on that adventure, to go on that journey. We all have that one thing that we would love to do, but we don't do it because we don't have the confidence. We don't have the time. We don't have the fitness. We don't have the, as we believe, the information. We all have that one thing that we want to do. And I'm so terrified. I'm so fearful of people getting to that position that my dad was in and the time running out and it being Uh too late. And that is my mission, to help a million people do the things, to give them the knowledge, the habits, the mindset, to be this version of themselves that can conquer their goals, conquer their mindsets, be that person, that 2.0 version of themselves. It's never too late to become the person who you are always meant to be. And that's why I believe that it's possible. And, And that's why I do the things that I do to prove to people. Because as I say, in social media, A lot of people make empty promises. A lot of people say the same thing, the same generic quote, same things about mindset and changing comfort. I do what I do to prove to people that it's possible. I am not an ex-special forces soldier. I am not a privileged adventurer. I am not an athlete. I'm a guy who at 35 was a broken down mid-manager at a corporate firm who couldn't run up a flight of stairs who was addicted, who was scared, who felt like an imposter. And if I can go from that person to running across the Sahara Desert, to breaking the world records, to moving my family halfway around the world from the UK to New Zealand, to to writing books, to launching podcasts, if I can be where I was and then change my life to do what I've done, then I know that anyone can achieve that thing that they want to achieve. And I can give them the knowledge, the habits, and the mindset to do so. But it is about recognizing, as I say, it's never too late to become the person that we're always meant to be. You're never too old, never not enough time, never not enough opportunity. There's always, always a way. There has to be a way. And that's why I have that mission to to help a million people. And and that's what I want to do to, to make sure that no one lives their life of regret. Yeah, I love that, Freddie. Really, really love that mission that you're on. And where's the best place for people to keep up with you with that work that you're doing with that mission that you're on with all these crazy challenges that you're going to continue to go on yeah my partner says just just buy a motorbike freddie be way <laughs> easy to have a midlife crisis just buy a motorbike but there gotta say it's gotta be the, the the mission improvement to be also the best place to find me is um is on instagram let's keep it really simple on instagram the freddie bennett freddie is f-r-e-d-d-i-e bennett b-e-n-n-e-t-t at the freddie bennett always happy to speak to people and as i say i I come from a place of of service first if i can serve as many people as possible if we can give them the power to fuel their fire the knowledge habits and mindsets to achieve what they want to achieve then surely together we could all make the world a uh, better 
more empowered and a more confident place. Love that. Thank you so much for your time again, Freddie. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.